Hey guys, with sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com, and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1 800 69 BetUS. That is 800 MyBetUS. You receive 125% sign up bonus by using bonus code SST125. That's SST125. They have re-up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite sportsbook for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The race books has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone online and sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet. You win. You get paid. Bet U.S. In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Gonna be a big fun hour two on the Chuck Oliver Show this Tuesday. Day part two has already been by. If it's Tuesday, well, he comes by hour one. So day bar two, he is college football matrix. Appreciate him stopping by. We mentioned the Irish a little bit. Uh, we'll have Tim O'Malley on Irish Illustrated. That's in about 10 minutes. And bottom of the hour, a good buddy of mine who uh, actually works the flagship of my show, 680 The Fan WCNN in Atlanta, John Michael's going to join us and talk a little uh, Miami Hurricanes as they have made themselves re-relevant, I suppose. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a great example of what I'm talking about with Manny Diaz, for instance. I know that when we see a season play out, or even a particular game, that adds more into the gumbo of what do we think about our coach. I was just mentioning Mike Shula. I'm going to tell you something about Mike Shula. It's one of the nicest individuals I've ever met. Now, when we start with that, what do we? You know what nobody's ever said? I'm going to talk about what kind of coach Nick Saban is. Now, I want to say first, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Nobody, you don't jump. You just jump into it. Wow, he's a great coach. Mike Shula was not a great head coach. He's a really good quarterbacks coach. He didn't need to be running a program, certainly not like Alabama. Um, I mentioned earlier that in 06 when he was the head coach that that that's why LSU Alabama the most recent time you have to go all the way back pre-save and then it wasn't on CBS in a national broadcast window um as Mike Shula's career progressed we found out more things each week I've talked about the Iron Bowl and I think in the fourth quarter I think just in the fourth quarter he tried to call four timeouts like there was at least and I say at least because it might have been five I, I know there was at least one time, it might have been twice, that the white hat looked at Coach Shula and was like, you don't have any more timeouts, dude. And then I think Preche Rodriguez came up with something in the end zone, I believe, if I recall. But but he was done. He was gone. And it was right for everybody involved. Um, and so as Shula's career continued to unfold, you got more and more information, and that helped form an opinion. That doesn't happen over three hours on a Saturday afternoon, though, almost ever. Like, if the coach said, I, I instruct you to walk out on the field with a snowshoe and an ice skate on, 
All right, at that time, let's let, let's talk. Jack Crow, do you know who Jack Crow is? He's an offensive coordinator in the South going back. He was uh, he worked for a lot of famous folks, and then he got to coach Arkansas for a minute. Go look at Jack Crow. It might have been week one. It might have been week two. Arkansas lost to the Citadel. Matt, look up Jack Crow. Um, Arkansas lost at home to the Citadel. They fired him. That's extreme. And that was probably 25, 26, 27. I think Danny Ford took over at that point. Manny Diaz, two weeks ago, what's the buyout? Manny Diaz today, uh, who do we got next? He's the same coach he was two weeks ago. And again, I know you can look at your coach sometimes and think, well, three hours or a week ago or a month ago or a year ago, I didn't view him with a giant rainbow wig, a red nose, and big floppy feet, and I do now. I understand it is in a, that's not what happened with Manny Diaz. They lost a couple of games. That's not what happened with Tom Herman. They lost a couple of games. It happens, folks. Everybody, I'm gonna pick everybody in the ACC Coastal can't be ten and two. You know what Pat Narduzzi is hearing right now? How'd you lose to Miami? You know, Manny Diaz was just hearing, how'd you lose? Oh, you beat Pitt? Oh, well, I feel differently about you now. That's supposed to be how it goes. If we look when a coach had more rope, and you don't have to go far back, I'm sure Lavelle Edwards had some of his Mormon fan base going, you, I don't know, I'm not going to say that word, but I'm angry. And Lavelle got to keep coaching. <laughs> And Dabo got to keep coaching, and Mac Brown got to keep coaching, and Vince Dooley and Pat Dye and Steve Spurry. Everybody got to keep coaching for a minute and a half. And now Tom Herman is being paid by people in Austin, Texas, to sit in a film room in Chicago and watch video of the Detroit Lions. And he's like, no, nah, I'm good. I got out. I escaped Austin. I'm good. All right, I got news. Miles Brennan's in the portal. Uh, did y'all hear what Jimmy Lake said? The Washington coach? All right, at first you go, oh, smack. Uh, real quick, Jimmy Lake was asked about this week's game with Oregon and the recruiting battles off the field. He's like, well, hang on. We battle on the field. Off the field, that's blown up. And somebody's like, what do you mean? You don't recruit against Oregon? Quote, no, we normally recruit against schools with more academic prowess than Oregon. We recruit against better academic institutions. We recruit against the Stanfords of the world. Now, as provocative as that is, and I can't tell you anything about, like, rankings because I don't know where Oregon ranks and Washington whatever. I know, like, Michigan is a giant public school that is really highly ranked. UF, I believe, is the same way. Most places that we went, I went to Auburn. I went to Missouri. I went to, all, I went to Clemson. Big giant state school that depending on which discipline, which which school, which field you started to pursue, you get a there were there were certain schools at Auburn, you get every bit as good an education as you could anywhere else on planet Earth in this school, this school. Every school has that. Every school has that. Stanford's got a lot of them. Every school has some of those. Wake Forest has nothing but those. Every school has some. Northwestern is spilling over with them. So that's the difference in schools. That's it. I don't know where Washington and Oregon rang. I don't really care. But I did see everyone's reaction. Jimmy, oh, do you see what Jimmy Lake said? My question, what if it's true? What if it's true?
What if Wake Forest, they're playing um, NC State? Big, giant, public state school where you can get a really nice education. What if Dave Clawson says, ah, you know what, NC State, not really on our level academically. Oh, you know what Dave Clawson just said? The truth. So, I, again, I don't know how provocative that is, but the mere fact that a coach would actually utter those words, what if it's true? Now, I don't know what the win is if Dave Clawson says, Raleigh, that's 13th grade. I, I, I don't know what the win is. But if it's true, I also don't know what you're offended by. All right, we're going to break. Uh, I've got other headlines. Didn't get to them. We're going back to talk Irish. Back to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. Notre Dame keeps winning, and that's not nothing. And we will get the first rankings from the playoff committee tonight. And I, Notre Dame is in a giant, like, number 10 wash tub with about a dozen other teams that you look and say, well, they've completed two-thirds of their schedule. Who do they have left? Well, Navy, they're not much. Virginia can throw the ball. They're, they'll, 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 that'll be a fun game. But Navy, they ain't much. Georgia Tech, mm. um, You start to try to lay out to predict what you think the final four weeks of the season, how it'll unfold for Notre Dame and their playoff chances. And I find myself – there are so many teams this year. I, I look at them, and I, I watched you for two months, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know yet. Yeah, I'm not sure yet. I want to welcome on now, though, a guy that we can always turn to when it comes to talking Irish, and he does know from Irish Illustrated. It is Tim O'Malley. Tim, brother, how are you today? Good, Chuck. How you been? Doing okay. Um, here's what I think I know. The offense is better than it was in week one. Let's start there. Um, give me your impression about what you thought the offense would be entering the season when you had some questions and, like, maybe you think where you think they are now. Yeah, that's, that's actually the best way to look at Notre Dame's offense because in, coming into the year, we knew the offensive line could not be as good as the last couple of years. All those players that were developing from 2018 playoffs through 2020 playoffs were gone. And they were much, 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 much worse than we thought they would that be. That was six muches, by the way, from Tim. <laughs> yeah, six muches. Go ahead, Tim. It was unbelievable how poor, porous the offensive line was for – Oh, through through the through the loss to Cincinnati for sure. Even beating Wisconsin, that was not the offensive line's doing. Um, and then something changed. They they brought in Tyler Buckner in in Blacksburg, but the offensive line was getting a little bit of a push that day. It wasn't just Tyler Buckner because, as you know, Jack Cohen saved the day. Oh yeah. And then, and then it carried over, and the offensive line was getting a push against USC and against North Carolina, which allows Kyron Williams to be one of the ten best players in the country when people had probably thought he left the team because he had nowhere to run uh, prior and. Now the offense has found itself. Uh, they made two changes on the offensive line. One's kind of incredible. The other one's just unforeseen. They brought in a new left guard, Andrew Kristoffek, who's a junior. Uh, nobody really had him in the top 45 Notre Dame players if you were kind of ranking them preseason, but he has done a very good job at left guard. And then the craziest one, their fourth left tackle starter of the season, which is hard to fathom, much less say. Yes. Is, is Joe All a true freshman? And that is, of course, John Alt's son. And he has been... Very good. A stabilizing force as an 18-year-old left tackle. So you can see that, that that kid obviously has a future now at Notre Dame because he's a starting left tackle as a true freshman. They they never had a starting left tackle in program history that was a true freshman, and they've had two this year. So that's how rare that is. But the offensive line has been the key. They are now a quality 
pretty good offensive line. I don't want to say they're a nationally good offensive line because if they ran into if Georgia doesn't count, but if they ran into a playoff contending defense, I still think they'd have a little bit of trouble, but it has really stabilized things. Jack Cohn is confident, and the most important thing outside the line is Offensive coordinator Tommy Reese has gone to a very quick one, two, three drop attack for Jack Cohn, and he's no longer getting sacked. It's been, you know, two sacks in the last nine quarters, which obviously they can handle. And that was the big deal. I mean, going back to the Cincinnati game, I was like, look, I don't know strength of, you know, schedule competition, level of recruiting, all that. I know Cincinnati gets after quarterbacks and Notre Dame does not protect theirs. Um, Drill down on that specifically, because if you protect the quarterback, you always got a chance. Um, Talk about how that has evolved. I mean, you talked about the changing personnel and all that, but what about play calling, shorter drops, uh, the receivers doing them some favors? Uh, just kind of flesh that out some. Yeah, they've gone, they've gone to the quick game, as I mentioned. Uh, Tyler Buckner still comes in to kind of keep teams off balance yeah. as a runner. He's a very good runner with Tyron Williams back there. The receivers, actually, they've lost receivers. They are playing right now with four scholarship wide receivers just because of transfers in the offseason injuries. They had one quit, uh, a senior quit during the season. But it's actually it's actually been better over the last few games. They have a three or four receiver rotation. One is freshman Lorenzo Styles, who has really helped. He's added speed to the team. Um, Michael Mayer, we talked about him preseason, one of the best tight ends in the country. He's yep. been battling a groin injury all year, so they've really needed Kyron Williams and these receivers to help out. But I think Tommy Reese honestly just got a complete handle on how to use this offense, work around the offensive line. He's making the offensive line look good. Jack Cohn and the Notre Dame quarterbacks were sacked 25 times in the first four games. I mean, they've only been sacked, I'm sorry, 22 times in the first four games. They've only been sacked four since. They are really, it's just get the ball out. You rarely see Cohn back there looking to hit the deep shot. I think coming into the year, they thought we are going to be a deep ball team as opposed to last year. They don't have time for that, but they are making plays with the quick game and some RPOs, and it's really keeping teams off balance offensively. All right, I don't think I'm overstating this because every so often there's a kid at safety who you're like, all right, he's different. Um, Kyle Hamilton's different. In fact, I I would say he's as good as a safety as any other defensive player in college football is as a tackle end, you know, whatever. That's how good he is. Um, is he going to play anymore this year? And I'm, You know how I'm asking that because the trend oh, yeah. is yeah. what do I have to come back for? I'm already a top 10 or whatever he is. Is Kyle Hamilton, do you think he's going to play? And how is he coming back from the injury in and of itself? Yeah, he's out this week with the injury, just like he had a knee injury. Um, he's having another yeah. um, plasma injection procedure. He's probably already had it yesterday, so that takes him out of this game. You probably wouldn't bring him back for Navy anyway. A guy with a knee injury playing Navy is not the best call. Um, so word inside the locker room that we have heard is that Kyle Hamilton will return for that Virginia game. You mentioned it's going to be, you know, obviously, the secondary will be at major risk if he's not back there. I think he will play. Uh, Brian Kelly thinks he will play. We have He is the type of kid that will really want to play, and I think his parents will support him in that. It is the, the agent that brings the $35 million number to the table. You know, Do you yeah. really need to go out there? when? If Notre Dame loses, I don't think he'll come back because I don't think he's returning to uh, fight for the Cheez-It Bowl berth. But when they are still in it for the playoffs, I get the feeling he'll play. He's kind of a beloved athlete at Notre Dame, and no one these days is going to begrudge anyone for shutting it down when all that money's on the line. Um, but I do, I, I would guess he would play. I think when he got injured, I would guess back then a couple of weeks ago, I would have guessed he would not. So I guess it's kind of an uh, opportunity to get information. And in reality, I mean, it's just going to be up to his gut and his family and everything because it's not our money that we're messing with, right, when we say we think Kyle Hamilton should play or will play. 
Uh, yeah, can I ask you just your opinion? Um, is Jalen Smith, like his story, does that make it a little more of a of a current story around Notre Dame? Because every school, like, yeah. you know, De'Eric King, are you coming back? George Pickens, are you coming back? Jalen Smith, that makes it a lot more real, doesn't it? I think it does. I mean, every every Notre Dame fan references it. It's not like Tyler Hamilton doesn't know it. You know, that's a he's a pretty high-profile guy at Notre Dame. He's yeah. been back since then. I think it goes into it. Um, Jalen Smith has said and talked about it in the, in the past. Like I never would have not played in that game. You know, I mean, it was a Fiesta Bowl. That was let's let's face it. He, that wasn't one of those lower tier. Oh bowls. no, no, it was, no. It was Ohio State, State, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, it was Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah. They were, they just missed the playoffs. So Ohio State. It was a marquee game. But yeah, I, I think it does. It's really every Notre Dame fan, message board, every writer, reporter has probably referenced Jalen Smith in the last three weeks. So I'd be lying if I said that's not going to be part of it, or at least it's a nugget of information for him. Well, he is a stud, stud. I'm old enough to think like Kenny Easley and Ronnie Lott and guys yeah, like that, it, man. People were asking, and I was like, I mean, you know, I, those guys are the guys I watched in the pros. So I would say in college, we're talking Sean Taylor was the best one. Wow, wow, that's a good call, man. That's the range Hamilton has. I think Taylor's probably faster, but Hamilton's a bigger dude, too. So it's uh, he's quite a player. All right, man. I appreciate it as always, Tim. Thank you. Hey, I really appreciate it, Chuck. Thank you. All right, Tim O'Malley again from um, Irish Illustrated. Y'all know who Ronnie Lott is, maybe, if you're in your late 20s, 30s, because he still is kind of relevant. You don't know who Kenny Easley is, and that's too bad. Go uh, Wikipedia, your computer, and read Kenny Easley. Um, essentially, he had too much ibuprofen. I think that's basically how it was. Is that Tylenol or Advil? Which one's ibuprofen? Um, whatever it was, they wrecked his kidneys or his liver or something, just giving him painkillers. And so Kenny Easley was as good in his first probably five years out of college as any safety I've, I've ever seen. And his pro career ended way prematurely. And, I mean, he was on the outs with the Seattle Seahawks for a couple of decades. Until, in fact, I think it was until the owners sold – it was like, I ain't coming back. You could have killed me. Just so I could go out there and make nine tackles against the Colts. You could have killed me. So when it was, uh, it was Allen, right? Yeah, Bruce Allen from um, uh, Microsoft. When he bought it, um, then Kenny Easley, they finally kind of made up, and, and he's back in, the, back in the family there. But you're going back 40 years for Kenny Easley and Ronnie Lott and guys like that, and that's Kyle Hamilton. He's this big, huge dude. And you know the separator? I've always said this for a defensive back. Because there's plenty of guys who can play the position. What do you do once you get the ball in your hands? If you can act like you're Ed Reed, you're Sean Taylor. You're, okay, at that point, you're a different sort of you're a different level of player, which is why they're talking about a safety, uh, Kyle Hamilton, who could play linebacker in the NFL, uh, being a top five, top eight, certainly top ten sort of pick. That kid is a monster in the secondary, and he has an injured knee, and I don't know if he's going to play at least for Notre Dame anymore. the king of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show a huge misconception when discussing the state of the u is, well, you know, like Al Golden and Randy Shea, they stopped getting South Florida. They stopped getting Miami kids. That's not true. 
You go back and look at any of their recruiting classes, they were getting South Florida kids. They were going to all the right spots. Carroll City, Liberty, they were going to all of them. They weren't getting the right South Florida kids. I, I will give you an example. If we go back in time, we will DeLorean back to Al Golden's, maybe his second to last year. And I just honestly, I spun the wheel. A local Miami-ish Fort Lauderdale kid that signed, Nick Linder. I, I don't remember Nick Linder playing at Miami. Maybe he started four years, but I don't remember him. He was a guard out of St. Thomas Aquinas. That's as good a football factory as you can find anywhere. Nick Linder was a three-star guard out of Fort Lauderdale. He got a scholarship to play at Miami. Do you know who's getting the scholarship out of South Florida now? Guys like James Williams. Guys like Leonard Taylor. Just like monster players out of out of Palmetto, American Heritage. Um, those are the schools. It's Booker. It's Northwest. Those are the schools you have to go to and then get the right players. I want to bring on now a guy who knows the U as well as anybody. It is a good friend of mine. He's actually at the flagship WCNN in Atlanta, 680, the fan where I am. It is John Michaels. Brother, how you doing today? Uh, doing better than I was two weeks ago because Miami's won back-to-back games over ranked opponents, and it feels pretty damn good. Absolutely. Can you help me? Was I uh, besmirching the fine lender name? Did he turn into a ball player? No, I think his brother Brandon Linder was a much better player than Nick was. I don't particularly – I remember the name Nick Linder. I don't think he got many snaps okay. in his time at Miami. All right, guys, again, John follows every heartbeat at the U, and he's like, yeah, I think I remember a little bit, but he didn't play much. All right, let's talk about who you're getting out of South Florida now because, as you said, won a couple of uh, uh, games straight. We will get to uh, the offense and the quarterback and everything, but I do want to start on the uh, defensive side because there are some young'uns flying around, and not even guys – John, who had the benefit of last year at least being in the program, talk about some of the folks that Manny Diaz and that staff brought into the uh, uh, onto the roster this year on the defensive side who were playing big snaps. Yeah, you got two freshmen at safety. I heard you mention James Williams. Where's number zero? Six foot five, two hundred and twenty-five pounder out of Palmetto High School. One of the uh, Palmetto Five. He's one of the three that ended up going to Miami. And the kid, when he was recruited, people say, oh, he's going to be too big to be a safety. He'll end up playing linebacker or D-end. He said all along, I want to be a safety. And it's 6'5", 225 pounds. He reminds you a little bit of Sean Taylor, not quite the hitting ability, a little mix of Ed Reed with the range and the reading ability. And the fact that he's out there as a freshman, he had the game ceiling interception off Kenny Pickett this past yeah. Saturday. Kid can flat out play. Well, he's got a running mate next to him named Cam Kitchens. Where's number 24? He had the game-saving tackle two weeks ago on a fourth down and eight against North Carolina State. Tackles that, quite frankly, Miami was missing earlier in the year with upperclassmen in Bubba Bolden and Gervin Hall. I think you see you see the next two guys that are going to be safeties at Miami for probably two and a half more years. Now, I've always said that uh, playing on the line of scrimmage, particularly the interior of the line of scrimmage, it is not easy for any sort of uh, freshman. Um, Leonard Taylor has got on the field some, though, a little bit, hadn't he? Yeah, and it's been more over the last couple of weeks. He didn't play much until after the Michigan State game. Central Connecticut, he started getting on the field. He's getting about 25 snaps a game, and he's a guy that you see all of the raw tools. I believe he had a half sack against Kenny Pickett this past week. He plays in the backfield. There is some technique, and I think right now he still runs into Chuck. You know how this goes. Come from high school, you run over everybody. All of a sudden, you get in the ACC, and you're playing a fifth-year senior that's benching a car, you don't just run them over. Leonard Taylor's going to learn that in time. The good thing is that Miami right now behind Nesta Jade Silvera, Jared Harrison Hunt, Jonathan Ford, guys that have been in the program, you don't have to play him 70 snaps a game. 
that kid's got superstar written all over him once he figures out this college game. Yeah, technique doesn't matter on Friday for a lot of kids, does it? I'm just <laughs> no, bigger and stronger and faster. And then on, you look around and you're like, wait a minute, everybody's 320. Uh, continuing with John Michaels talking to you. Um, well, let's talk uh, the recent resurgence because I was using Manny as just one of many examples earlier in the program that two weeks ago, what's the buyout after a couple of uh, conference wins? It's like, mm, what kind of bowl can we get to? Um, and as you said, took down uh, Pitt, who was trying to trend towards an ACC playoff bid, perhaps. Um, where do you think the program sits right now ahead of, again, they're at home against a very beatable opponent on Saturday, Georgia Tech. Um, and then you look around at Florida State, they're not that special. Virginia Tech, Duke, this suddenly could turn into at least record-wise. From the outside, John, the record could look pretty dang good. It can. There's still a lot of internal turmoil at University of Miami right now. You know, Kirk Herbstreet a few weeks ago came out famously on college game day and said they don't care. There was allegedly, and I can't confirm nor deny this, a a huge argument between the school president, Julio Frank, and uh, Blake James at the game first North Carolina State that apparently got into a yelling match. On the field, though, the thing, and and I am not a Manny fan or supporter at all, But what I've seen, even with the two losses to Virginia and North Carolina, he decided to go young, and these kids are fighting their butts off for this head coach. Whether you like Manny or not, give credit where it's due that, you know, you could have easily folded shop. You miss a field goal against Virginia. You have a batted ball intercepted where you're driving to win the football game against North Carolina. And then playing the two best teams on your schedule, not named Michigan State or Alabama. Miami's fought their butts off, and you just said it right. Tech is a very winnable game. Florida State's a very winnable game. So is Virginia Tech and Duke. If Miami wins out and gets a little help, meaning a pit loss and a Virginia loss, Miami goes to the ACC championship game. That's crazy to think where they were at two and four two weeks ago when everybody was going to be fired. All right, well, let's talk about uh, what November could be for them, and it's not De'Ara King. We know we got the news a couple of weeks back. It's Tyler Van Dyke. He and Jake Garcia both impressed folks in spring, but it's Tyler Van Dyke. He is this big, giant-looking redshirt freshman, um, and he he's taken over, man. What What folks were projecting in spring and a little bit in August, this so far has kind of played out to that way. Yeah, all of a sudden the offense under Rhett Lashley, which was really stalled out in the first three weeks of the year, has taken off over the last couple of weeks. Now, in fairness, the competition is not Michigan State and it's not Alabama, but credit where it's due, Van Dyke's thrown for about 740 yards over the last two games. He's only thrown one interception, uh, and that was on a ball, if I'm not mistaken, that he throws back across his body where a receiver falls down in the middle of the route and ends up getting picked off. He's thrown seven touchdowns. He threw for over four bills on the road, and he needed every one of them against Pittsburgh. He's got something that Miami quarterbacks used to have. It's called swagger. And it's called the ability to back it up. He talked trash to North Carolina State before the game. He said, wait, we put 44 on you a year ago. If we play our game, we beat you. NC State was chippy with him, and he went right after him. He's got something that, you know, and I love De'Eric King. You've now got a kid back there, though, at six foot four who can see the field and make every single throw. Rhett Lashley, he's got his Shane Bouchelle that he had at SMU, which he didn't have early on in the year. Uh, last area I want to visit, um, and it always strikes me when a program gets short at receiver or running back. Is Miami short at running back right now? I mean, injuries would say yes. Cameron Harris out for the year. Don Chaney Jr. out for the year. But you finally get to see the rooster, Jalen Knighton, who's burst on the scene with a couple of 150-plus yeah. yard total yard games over the last few weeks. I've asked but you about very- him before. I've always loved that kid, man. I, I, last year when he was a, like a real freshman, I was like, all right, he's going to be different. 
Yeah, he and when he touches the ball, it's different. He took a little draw play against Pitt, 40 yep. yards. He's in the end zone before Pitt knew he was through the line of scrimmage. But they are short. You know, when you lose two guys that, that were upperclassmen, at least in Cameron Harris's uh, case, now you've got two true freshmen behind him. Cody Brown, a Parkview kid here out of Georgia. Uh, I don't want to sound weird, but he lives right down the street from my house. I've driven past where they had the big sign that said Cody Brown going to Miami. And Thaddeus Franklin, a true freshman out of Miami who hasn't really got much burn. If something, and I knock on wood, God forbid, happens to Jalen Knighton down the stretch, Miami's going to be running it with a wing and a prayer in the backfield. But when you get all your guys back healthy, and I would assume everybody comes back to school next year, they'll be locked and loaded with five really good running backs in the backfield. You know, every time I hear somebody talk about, um, oh, yeah, this prospect lives down the street from me. Um, there was a story about a kid who was committed to Florida State. And I won't say which SEC school he flipped to, but he's from South Alabama. And mm-hmm. Mama walked out one morning and was like, we don't get the paper. And, well, you get the paper now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, all right. Uh, John, I appreciate you making some time, man. Thank you. Anytime, Chuck. All right. Yeah, that was, uh, that was well, we don't get the paper. But you get it now. Why don't you open it? Oh, look, I guess we're not going to Florida State anymore. Um, That's just kind of how it happens sometimes. Uh, When you know where the recruits live. I'm not suggesting that John influenced any recruits at all. In fact, I know John's John's economic leaning. He ain't throwing $100 bills into uh, uh, newspapers. But that was the story. In fact, let me take that back. Because story implies once upon a time, or gather around, kids. No, that was the real. Kid. Giant, 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 giant recruit committed to FSU. Suddenly, I was getting a paper every morning. There are a lot of different ways to do it, folks. And I, I, I have never begrudged one kid for any. Put your sticky fingers out there and get everything you can. You are sweating and bleeding. And in most cases, they're not actually concerned about you. Grad- you get a diploma and some education. Those are different things. But if you get you can change your family tree. It is such an opportunity. And you also gr- have a chance to graduate, leave college without what? Soul-crushing student loan debt. All of that, take advantage of it. And so if a kid's is there and he's just a cog in the machine, got a chance to get an Escalade with an envelope in the glove box, knock yourself out, young man. Uh, I have never had an issue with that. Now you can actually structure it that way. Uh, you can do all that above board. So, I don't know, like Caleb, uh, not Caleb, he didn't get him. Uh, Spencer Adler getting the big Dodge Ram and then the Dodge Challenger. Okay, he can send out Instagram. Hey, look at my brand new cars. This one's got seven miles on it. This has got 14. Um, there was a lot of that going on anyway, except now you just put it on Instagram. All right, we're going to break. We will come back, wrap up on a Tuesday next. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. You can see the progress that our program is making, the way that we're playing, and the product that we're putting out on the field. And, and obviously, I think they have a great sense of who we are and what we're doing inside of the building, too, and how all those things uh, built a, uh, a great experience while you're playing here at, uh, at Tennessee. UT head coach Josh Heupel. And he's not talking just about, you know, Hendon Hooker and, you know, some of the defensive linemen and who's in the second. He's talking about folks that are still in high school. 
Uh, he's talking about their spot on the recruiting trail right now and how Tennessee – it takes – no, let me just take that back. You have an opportunity to change the speech every five or 15 minutes or four days or, or however long. There is no news cycle that has to last. Like Urban Meyer, can we go back in time? Urban, Do we remember the three days that the Urban Meyer dancing with the girl on the bar was the biggest story in sports? And by the way, it lasted three days. That was two and a half days longer than it needed to last, Urban. It lasted three days and then John, we don't talk about John Gruden anymore. Do you think that a 17-year-old really drilled down last December. Ooh, rocky top, right into the core. Won't find me there. First of all, the kid didn't do that. Secondly, he did see some headlines and he saw some funny memes. Now he can't, he, he did, if you showed him the exact same meme, he's like, who's that about? No, you retweeted this a year ago. Oh, what, did I laugh about it? Oh, was it funny? Not because of any intellectual shortcoming, just because he's a 17-year-old in 2021. When I was 17, I had four TV channels, and I was distracted. Much less, I mean, I hold in my hand my iPhone right now, my iPhone. This is a more powerful computer than either side had available in World War II, and it's in my hand. And do you know what I do? To, I look up North Carolina's rushing statistics with it. Okay. And and I'm not 17. So the kid doesn't remember. And Josh Heupel is saying, well, they're going to see what was going on inside the building and the type of people that are here now. There are recruits, include who is it, Walter Nolan? Is that the giant five-star kid? that He's got a brother, too, but uh, he's up for grabs. He's saying, we'll get him into the building. We'll show him what type of people are here now. If you would have asked fill-in-the-blank recruit the day, the week, the month after Jeremy Pruitt had exited the property, Tennessee, I, I ain't taking your call. Oh, Tennessee, why hadn't y'all called on me before? That's what it is now. I know we've been calling on you, I promise. I've told you the story. Uh, Scott Drew or Bryce Drew? Who was the coach at Baylor? Scott Drew. And I, I talked to him after he got the job from the coach who decided to paint his dead player as a drug dealer. Dave Bliss. Hey, that player of mine that passed, let's all say that he was a drug dealer. It was such a PR nightmare after that. The Scott Drew told me, he's like, I had to go to Sweden and Africa to recruit. I had to go places no one had ever heard of the Baylor Bears. That was a different time. Josh Eiffel, good for him, man. Uh, now, I also want to say that it, they, they're four and four. And it hasn't been much of a murderer's row. And I dare say that they have lost to all four of the four best teams they've played. So I do have perspective. You know, I always say the Peter King theory when it comes to the, I've talked about this with the NFL. Peter King knows more about the Seahawks, Giants, Jets, Bears, and Lions than you do. If you live around the Dallas area, you know more about the Cowboys than he does. There is a Tennessee fan that's like, oh, slow down on that record. You ain't watched him. No, I have watched him. And I know that they haven't beaten anybody really good or really sort of good. But I do recognize better. And they're better. Now, 
they've already took the pipe against Ole Miss and then against Alabama and now at Kentucky, which is looking around going, time to save our season, and then Georgia? Yeah, it's about to be worse than it is right now. But they're still better, and I want to give them a shout-out for that. Now, one of the teams that I talked about, oh, they they hadn't beaten anybody good. If you divide their schedule up, they played eight games. Here are the four best, and here are the four worst. They've lost to all four of the first four teams. Of the teams they have beaten, Missouri's one of them. There is a chance this Saturday in Athens, it might be, it might be as ugly as we see in the Southeastern Conference this season. And please understand that Georgia has already beaten Vanderbilt 62 to nothing. They won't, the, the final score Saturday, Georgia hosts Missouri. It's a high noon kick. Missouri playing a lot of noon games. The final score, I don't have any belief that it'll be 62 to nothing or anything approaching it. I will close my eyes. I tell you, I see this game. It's very whatever. You know what this game is? Very. It's like, 45 to 9, 45 to to, uh, 14, something like whatever. It's 45 to about 10. That's about what it is. Georgia wins by roughly 30. They beat Vanderbilt by 62. How can this be as ugly? Because that was 35 nothing, I think, at the end of the first quarter, and Kirby was backing off of that as quickly as he could. I think Jordan Davis played seven snaps on defense and one on offense. So they weren't really, you know, full bore against the Commodores. I think they'll be full bore against Missouri, and they'll beat a much better team by four or five touchdowns. Here's the reason I believe. It's not just because Georgia's as great as they are. Well, we all believe. Missouri's hard. And I mean, there is nothing going on. And I haven't checked this, and it's Tuesday, and it's my fault. I don't know. Uh, Is Connor Bazelak healthy? Is he playing? He's good. He, he, like, legit good. And he's got a good coach. That team stinks. Tyler Beatty is, he would start for Georgia. Tyler Beatty is about as an elite running back as you're going to find. And he is not the tallest guy in the world, but he is this ripped up, just dual threat, really, really, really good running back. He would start for Georgia. They have nothing going on. And they don't even attempt to play defense. That's why I'm saying, if Connor Bazelag doesn't play, and I, I hadn't even checked, Missouri is so f- starting quarterback in the SEC against the number one team in America, and it's Tuesday, and I'm like, yeah, I'll get to it. I've got other things. Well, Matt Lear, with his, he has opened the curtain, says Connor Bazelag, as of right now, still unclear for the weekend. All right, so I haven't missed anything. It's going to be, again, noon in Athens, and Kirby can pick the score. All right, I have a question surrounding a college football story from last night and my only question is well who's got the monkey now have you seen the story involving the texas special teams coach i will give you the short version jeff banks is coaching tight ends for the university of alabama jeff banks leaves his wife and four kids for a stripper known as pole assassin she was featured on jerry springer Texas hires Jeff Banks as special teams coordinator. Sunday night, pole assassin's monkey, who performs with her, pole assassin's pet monkey attacks a trick-or-treater at the house. None of this is made up, as best I can tell. 
Matt Lear, you've investigated this story as well. It is what I've described. This is as far as we know the facts. These are the facts, right? I mean, whose stripper girlfriend hasn't attacked a kid on Halloween though? Didn't really take the conversation where I was hoping, Matt. Um, so, yes, that is what's going on with Jeff Banks, current special teams coordinator. I don't want to put current on there. Special teams coordinator for Texas. Wife, four kids, out. Stripper girlfriend and her pet monkey, in. Pending investigation. Monkey bites trick-or-treater. That's about as interesting as it gets with the Longhorns right now. They picked up that fourth loss. Who's got the monkey? Because the monkey was only doing what it's supposed to do. Monkey wants candy. And by the way, attack. My understanding is the monkey was just after the three musketeers or the Reese's or whatever else it was. So, all right, wraps it up on a Tuesday, folks. Appreciate everybody getting in. Give me 22 hours. I recharge those batteries. I'll be back this time tomorrow with more college football conversation right here on Chuck Oliver Show.